Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. What's up, church? How are we? Good. Hey, it's good to see you all. Good to be with you all this morning. Um, We are continuing in our Life on Mission series this morning. We're going to open up to Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. If you want to snag your Bible and grab those, uh, we'll be turning there in just a second. But as we kind of walk into that verse, I just want to make sure uh, you have some of the context for where this series finds itself. We have uh, been here now for a few weeks in this idea, uh, sort of trying to get our heads wrapped around this thought of what would it look like to be a church, to be a people, to even just be a person who's living their life on mission for God. And as we've done that, we've walked through uh, several different arenas that we'll talk about here in Deuteronomy chapter six in just a moment. But before we go there, I just wanna pause and ask the question, like, has anything shifted in your heart as we've started this series? Like, I'm, I'm not asking the question, have you just fully arrived at this perfect missional human now that you have been you know, in this series for three weeks? Um, but I wanna stop because I wanna just ask the question, um, like, have we, have we gotten anything in our hearts? Have we gotten any sort of different lens that we're looking at the world with as we've walked through these few weeks? Because this is not just, it's not just a collection of talks that we're doing. It's not just a, a bunch of information we're trying to unpack as a church together. This is something we're trying to like get into our guts as a church in this series. Right, so um, I think the danger of the world that we're living in, and you can listen to podcasts all day long, you can listen to books all day long, you can stream YouTube videos. Lord knows you can stream YouTube videos for like the rest of your life and you won't even watch them all, right? But there's just so much information being constantly just thrown our way for us to consume that if we view and treat sermons at church, just another informational thing that we consume, I think it's going to lack the kind of transformational power that we're after as we open up the word of God together. And so what, I just want to make sure we're framing this correctly, that as we tackle this Life on Mission series, what we're looking for is we're looking for something by the power of the Holy Spirit to be seared into our conscience. That like, man, God has placed me, called me, gifted me, sent me into the world to bear his image and to bring glory to his name. Amen. Like, I am not just a spectator as Christianity unfolds. I am not just a consumer of what Christianity produces, but I get to participate in the bringing of the kingdom in the here and now. Amen? Amen. I was looking for an amen there, but I had to ask for it, so that doesn't count. You have to give me one later if that's what you want to do, okay? That one doesn't count on your tally for the day. If I have to ask for it first, it doesn't count. So, thank you. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the verse we've been looking at over the last few weeks. If you haven't been with us, um, I think it's even worth asking the question, what has your faith done over the last 10 years of your life? Has it grown into something? Does it stand on something? See, I'm not asking the question, has your faith grown uh, in the same way that maybe uh, a progressive would ask the question, are we growing and developing and learning? Because I'm not, I'm not suggesting that your faith, mo- I'm, I'm saying that your faith actually uh, stays anchored on the rock of Christ. But hopefully something is being built up upon it as you develop and as you grow and as you are sanctified into all that God is calling you to be. And so maybe you haven't even been here for this whole series. Maybe you just showed up today and, and you're like, okay, you're throwing a lot at me really quick here. Um, but, but I'm asking the question, what has your faith done over the last 10 years of your life? Does it look different? Is it more mature? 
Is it more equipped, more ready, more eager to see the things of God happen in our world than it was 10 years ago? If not, that's what we're after this series so that we would be compelled to get involved. Deuteronomy chapter six, this is given to the Israelites as they're about to inherit this long awaited promised land. And God says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. This is what Jesus quotes as the first and greatest commandment. He says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What we talked about in the, in the first kind of week of this series after Caden kicked us off is that the first place the mission of God starts always is in your own heart. If you're going to try and carry this out into the world without first letting the Holy Spirit doing, do the deep inward work in you first, uh, you're going to probably look a lot like the Pharisees hypocritical in a lot of ways, not letting any transformational power come upon you and your work is going to be stifled in that way. So the first place the mission of God shows up is always in our own hearts. And we let, we let the Holy Spirit just do the inward surgery, do the inward look at what's off in us so that we can become all that, who he, has, how, all that he has for us to be first. But then it goes from there. The next kind of level that we build upon is he says, you shall teach the, them diligently. You should teach these commands diligently to your children. We talked about how the first spillover after it's gotten into us, after we've steeped in the love of God, the first area that should get contaminated with that love from us is our family. It should spill over into our kids, into the people that we find ourselves at the Easter table with. Whoever we're smoking, whatever we're smoking for on Easter. The, I'm talking, okay, this is Colorado. I'm talking like a pork roast here, okay? I'm talking a brisket, something like that, all right? Whatever we're doing, whatever we're cooking that day, whoever we're sharing that with, that's where it begins to go from there. It gets into us. It spills out into those that are closest to us in our families, but it keeps moving. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit down in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So as now we're just going about our life, we're beginning to ask the question, God, how can I see your commands displayed in the world that I'm living in? How can I live my life on mission? Last week, we talked about what it looks like to love our neighbor as we unpacked the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we ask the question, okay, Jesus, if you've loved me like this, how then do I love the people that I find myself interacting with? Like there are no accidental encounters in the world that you're living in. There are divine appointments and God is placing certain people in your path so that you can demonstrate Christ's love to them as he's already demonstrated it to you. And so we love our neighbors. We engage with people and we're talking about the things that God has done. We're rehearsing our testimony so that we know what God has done in our own life so that we can share that with the world around us as we encounter the world around us. And, and as we do that, it says in the, in the last closing verse here, it says, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that last, those last three words on your gates is what we're gonna focus in on today. How do we live our life on mission in the city that we call home? Um, I'm talking about Loveland, Colorado here today, folks. I'm talking about the 970, okay? Any of you have been around Loveland long enough to remember the 970 outlaws? It was like 10 years ago when I was in high school. Yeah, some real troublemakers, I'm sure. I don't, I don't even know if it was real, but it's like we are in this city. Like we are in this town. Maybe, maybe you're in a neighboring town. Maybe you're in Johnstown, Millican. Maybe you're from Fort Collins, from Greeley. Whatever it is, like we find ourselves in Northern Colorado, that's where God has placed us. Nobody is accidentally here. Nobody is just here by happenstance. You have been strategically placed by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to be a missional outpost in the city that you are living in. That's all of us. 
All of us are placed here. Like when people, you ever travel, you're out of town. They're like, hey, where are you from? And you're like, I'm from Loveland. Especially if you're somewhere here in Colorado. I find it crazy. This is like in Colorado. People are like, oh, oh, so you must ski a lot. I'm like, no, it's, it's Fort Collins. You know, it's just right there. And even if they don't know where Fort Collins is, you're like, I'm just up from Denver. Just I-25 up, just you'll see it eventually. Like this, this is like contextually where we find ourselves. We're in a city, uh, in a county rather, of about 360,000 people. That's the place that you and I call home, Limerick County. That number has changed. It's grown since 2010. Our county has grown by about 60,000 residents. And a lot of us have felt that, haven't we? As, as like, I'm like, how much wider can they make 34? You know what I mean? How much busier can the Dairy Queen get on 34 and, and, and college, right? 287 if you're from Loveland. If you're from Fort Collins, you call it college. If you're from Loveland, you call it 287. Am I right? Yeah. Praise God for that Dairy Queen. Anyways, um, our county, uh, conservative estimates have our county growing by about 40 to 55% over the next 10 years. So by 2030, an estimated population of, of just north of half a million people will call Larimer County home. What an opportunity. I know that our first reaction is like, what happened to the small town we call home? But on, on the other hand, this is where God has placed us. It's a beautiful place. It's drawing people from all over. Our economy is strong. We are a, we're largely a middle-class county with our average income being about $76,000 per household. And so what we tend to struggle with is not what a lot of lower, uh, lower income families struggle with. We struggle with a lot of middle-class problems. We ask questions about school districts. We ask questions about how we're gonna access the best kind of healthcare. We're asking those things because we have access to them. Do you get that? Like that, we, we have these things in our county largely because we are, we are mostly a middle-class working community with like a really low unemployment rate, a strong economy. And, and um, with that too, uh, a lot of like our demographic here in Larimer County is Caucasian. We're white. It's by, it's by no mistake that you kind of hear the term, this is vanilla valley, <laughs> right? I'm just, I mean, I'm just calling it what it is here. Like we're, we are 82% white alone, nothing else mixed in. Right? The next highest demographic is Hispanic. There, there is an ever-growing presence of the Hispanic population in our community. So, there, I mean, all of these things kind of factor together. That I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to show you that you interact with and you believe certain things about the world that we're living in because of what you see in our community. And it also works the other way around. You see different things in the community and you can project that out to the world that we're living in. So, so I, would, I would just continually lay before you that maybe one of the best ideas you could do is just shut your TV off and maybe shut down the Facebook news feed for a little bit. And, and maybe for, for just a moment in time, you cannot pay so much attention to what's happening in the world because uh, the, the media is run, uh, like, like the news is going to be run by media companies that are trying to always just sell you fear and propaganda and what's burning next, Right. And so we're continually just looking at all these other things. And I'm saying that that happens a lot of times to the neglect of just using our eyeballs to look at what's happening in our own community. Because we're not, it's not that big. It's not completely unknowable to people in our town. Like we can actually, you know, some of the business owners of this town. You know, like some of them are sitting in this room right now. You can interact with some of the teachers of our community. You can interact with some of the people who are parents, who are grandparents, who have lived here multiple generations. Like that's not that crazy of a place. And the more that we get fed by sort of these national outlets of what's going on in Portland and what's going on uh, in DC, like it, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying it doesn't largely represent what's happening here. 
What's, what's mostly making up uh, Larimer County and even Loveland more specifically is we have, we have a pretty uh, conservative base here in Loveland, Colorado. And especially in the church community then, we have a largely conservative base, especially compared to our neighboring city of Fort Collins, who has a lot more uh, progressive influence, probably because of some of the uh, representation from the college campus that's in that city. And so that, that just all references and frames what we see here when we go into King Supers, when we go to the store. And, and the reason I bring all of this up is because we are not called to just kind of create some story or buy some story that we see about the world that we're living in and then, and then just try and apply that as the church to the place that we call home. No, we're, we're called to walk in our city as you go by the way. Jesus, when he gives the great commission, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The, we've talked about this in the first week. The probably better translation for that is as you're going, as you're living your life, as you're interacting with your town, as you're seeing your neighbors make disciples of all nations. This is the charge. This is what's been given to us. We have not been given the world's problems to solve. Maybe if there comes time to vote, we can do things that we should vote. And we should vote with our values. But when it comes to our community, we need to serve what's actually right in front of us, right? And so the question becomes then, how do we do that well? And that's where Jeremiah chapter 29 comes in. So if you'll turn um, to Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 4. But real quick, just this honest moment in church. Okay, how many of y'all have Jeremiah 29, 11 somewhere in your house right now? Right, just raise your hand. Just be proud. It's, okay. it's a good verse, isn't it? I mean, it's one of the most wildly taken out of context verses ever, but you know, it's a good one still. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many of y'all have heard that before? Pretty much everybody in the room, right? Um, the, the problem is, is that wasn't written to you, specifically you as an individual. That was written to the, the nation Israel. Now, does God have a plan for you? Does God have good intentions for your life? Yes and amen. I just think it's hilarious and we'll see why, how we just, we just like to cherry pick this one little part of Jeremiah when really the whole book as, as a whole is just kind of a downer if you've read the whole thing. Um, yeah, it's just like kind of sad through a lot of it. But Jeremiah 29, 11 is good. We'll pick it up in verse four. We'll back it up. It says, um, God says to the prophet Jeremiah, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So at this point in time, the nation of Israel has been kicked out of the promised land. They've been kicked out of the place that they've gotten to call home now since Deuteronomy for, for so long, but now they have rebelled so far. God has warned them so much and he's saying, eventually I'm giving you over. And so he has them vacate the promised land. He himself, God himself, it says here, sends them into exile, into a, into a hostile country, Babylon. Babylon's one of the great powers of the ancient world, and, and they are hostile to Christians in a way that we would maybe, in, in like a, a fraction of a way, describe the own nation that we get to call home now. So I just, I want to I paint the picture for you that, that you and I are not so different from exiles getting to call Babylon home for a time. See, because America, even though largely founded on Christian principles and Christian values, I mean, we felt this even over the last few years. I think we felt it even uh, expediting all the more quickly that the church is moving more towards the margin of culture. We are no longer the center of it. Do you feel that? Please tell me you feel that. <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's no longer like the church's worldview and sexual ethic is no longer being braced as normal and true. 
The, the church's idea of, of truth and of justice is, is no longer being embraced as normal and as true. I mean, there's, you can just kind of go down the line and you can see that Christians, we are, we are constantly being, being um, labeled as intolerant, bigoted, homophobic. I mean, you can kind of just go down the list. We are, so, we are just consistently being pushed outside of the central sort of uh, power hall of culture. And we're now over on the margin and on the fringes of culture. And we're getting relabeled and redefined and twisted. And, and a lot of it, I, I feel misrepresented. I go, that, okay, that's, that's not who I really am. If you want to call me intolerant or bigoted or, or hate-filled, that's not who I am. And yet that's what sort of culture at large is, is doing with the church, is pushing us aside. And so what that reflects then is, is a lot of people, I think, have this sort of uh, memory of what America used to be. And that's probably a little over, overly dramatic, if you could be really honest. Like America was never perfect, right? Do we, do we get that? We get that America was never perfect, but maybe we did have some more Christian principles and Christian values that we've stepped off of, and there will be consequences for that, absolutely. But, but mostly what I'm trying to show you today is that uh, Israel had to vacate a place they called home, and they had to go to a nation now and take up like some residence there where that country didn't recognize their God as God, didn't embrace their way of living, did not, did not see their way of life as the right way of living. So it is with you and I today. Most of the world that we live in today does not see us as, as having it all figured out, right? And so this creates a little tension. It creates a little tension. But look at what God gives the Israelites to do. He says, I've sent you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. But he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. That is, that is such a bizarre line to me. I, you almost think it should read like, hey, subvert the leadership secretly. Get your way in there just enough to drop a nuke on all of their leadership so that then I can restore you back to power in your nation. Isn't that what we kind of pray like today? Isn't that kind of how we think today? Man, if we could just figure this out at the leadership at the top, if we could just get to the right people in the right places, then and only then, God, can you do your thing? And God's like, I can do my thing with or without the leadership. Thank you very much. Amen. 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 So he says, seek the welfare. Seek the spiritual and the economic and the emotional welfare of the place that you call home. Make sure the citizens are thriving. Make sure the businesses are strong. Make sure the people get to see that I am the one true God, that I'm, I've sent you as an ambassador for my kingdom into their nation. This is the role of an exile. This is your and my role in our city. It says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord of hosts, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, then I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So we love Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 10 is not as fun though, right? You know, wait for 70 years. And then I assure you, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans for welfare, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This kind of also represents the tension that you and I now sit in, that we have, we have a kingdom coming one day that is going to be perfect. And we just sang about it, how I long to, to see heaven someday, how I long to see all the sad things undone, how I long to see all the hurts healed, how I long to see God finally usher in his age of perfect, beautiful redemption. And I'm longing and waiting for that day, and yet I'm not at it perfectly yet. And so I'm waiting. It's not 70 years out. And I'm not saying it's 70 years out, but I'm just saying the command given to them was to seek the welfare in the city in the meantime. So in the meantime, until Jesus comes back, our role is to seek the welfare of the city. But there's a few temptations that come along our way that I'm going to unpack here for the next few minutes. If we're going to live a life on mission in our city, the first thing that we have to do is we have to refuse to respond with separation or isolation to the things that are happening in the culture. So the knee-jerk reaction, as soon as all this different thing gets passed uh, here and all this is all legalized now, and all of a sudden this is being celebrated as normal, all of a sudden this is being uh, paraded around as the, as the one true way to accept and affirm love, our knee-jerk reaction is, is to pull back out of it, isn't it? To, to retreat, to go, okay, I'm, listen, we're just going to get here in this building. We're just going to circle up with our Christian homies and we're just going to do our life and we're going to make sure the big bad world stays out there and we get to stay in here and we get to stay all squeaky clean. This, this is the response. This is the reaction that we tend to have. And I think it comes with a good intention. The good intention is that we want, don't want to be, we don't want to be like defiled. We don't want to have, uh, we don't want to have these other behaviors sort of corrupt how we uh, are behaving or how we're being influenced. Because it, I mean, it's true that bad company does corrupt good morals, right? And so man, if we're just always hanging out with it, I think the reaction to separate is to, is to go, God, no, I want to remain wholly set apart and consecrated for you. Like I want to set my life according to your will. And so I don't want to be influenced by the world. But then it would be impossible to do Jesus' words if we separate from culture completely to, to, to do this. In Matthew chapter five, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor should it, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, right? Like I'm, I'm in that phase of life right now where there's always a light on my, in my house somewhere. And just as a, like, it's like my dad mode just freaks out. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't, I never really got it when it was my dad. He was always yelling at me to turn the light off. But now that it's me, I'm like, of course you can turn the light off. And it's like rage mode anytime that all the lights are on, you know? I think about this verse and I'm like, man, it, it was a lot of effort to make sure you had the oil, to make sure you were prepared to get a light into your house was not as easy as just hitting a switch, right? Like there was preparation and planning and there was execution to get this light lit and so the silliness of this verse of Jesus' mouth to say, man, if you're going to just light this lamp and then put a basket over it to cover it, what good is that? It's completely counterintuitive. So it is, Christian, for us to be bearers of the light of the world, to be carrying the glory of God, and to hide ourselves from the world under the blanket of our church building. Like this just should not be the only place that you hang out. And, and I think the more that we separate, the more that we isolate, the more that we get detached and disconnected from the real problems that are going on in our community. Like, so I was kind of referencing how we're largely a middle-class uh, middle county that we find ourselves in. And, and so within that, there are, there are so many things that are happening. I remember when the pandemic kind of first uh, was like six months in or so. I don't know. So put it sometime la uh, fall of 2020. I called Gary Emery. Gary Emery did a men's retreat for us a few years back. He uh, is, is, he's over at Emory Counseling up in Fort Collins. I just called him and I was like, hey, like, what are you seeing? What are you seeing now? We've been living kind of with the effects of this now for a few months. What are you noticing? He's like, man, uh, huge uptick in, in just domestic violence issues. 
huge uptick in substance abuse. Uh, he was referencing that, man, marital tension, like if anyone had marriage problems before the pandemic started, they're certainly been exposed now that we've forced everyone to live with each other, like on top of each other for the last, you know, eight weeks of not leaving your house. That was not good for marriages that were already hurting. And so part of what we encounter here, part of if you talk to local law enforcement or local healthcare workers, they'll tell you that substance abuse has, has ticked way up over the last couple of years. They'll tell you that, that they're, responding to, they're responding way more frequently to domestic violence calls. They're responding, like there are marital issues. There are kids who, who are living below the poverty line who don't have access to internet for their homework and much worse, they don't have access to food. So the free and reduced lunch numbers have gone way up. I mean, there's all these different things. And again, that's not just happening in our nation. It's happening here with kids that probably live on your block, with, with families, couples who live two doors away from you, coworkers that you share a cube with uh, for 40 hours a week. That's an that's a insane amount of time when you think about it. Some of y'all don't even get to see your spouse that much, Right? And you're with these coworkers 40 hours a week and they, they are battling some of these things. Their life is falling apart. And, and our culture, our, every single person I think has a, has a great skill at putting up this facade like everything's fine. But then if you look at, if you look at just the mental health, all the different things that people are struggling with, loneliness, um, that, that stuff is very real and it's very present in our county right now. So these are felt needs that we should be engaging with. But if we're so separated and isolated from our community because we've created these Christian subcultures that we spend all of our time in, then we're not like, I, I just, I forget that people are lonely because I'm so not lonely. Are you, are you picking up on this? Like I, I'm in small group. I've got friends. I've got people I go to the gym with. I've got all of you that I get to see every single Sunday. And I like, I'm thrilled about that. Truthfully, like I, I love this church. And I love coming in here. I've loved seeing you over the last couple of years. But you want to know one of the one things we heard most as we were getting back into church throughout the pandemic? It's like, oh my gosh, I just haven't been with people in a year. I haven't been with people in a year and a half. And there were so many moments where people would just, where they were overcome with emotion. They were just weeping. Why? Because they just hadn't been with people. They've been so lonely for the last year. If we get so entrenched in our Christian communities, we are going to detach ourselves from the problems that are actually happening in the community right in front of us. So we can't separate. We can't separate. But we also, the other side of that same coin is that we have to, we have to resist the drift to become a cultural chameleon. No, it's chameleon. I know it's a, it's never mind. It's not a good joke. But how many of you have heard this story before? Somebody, somebody, one of your friends, maybe it was even you, and, and, and through the justification that you wanted to really love this person, you wanted to meet them where, you're, where they were at, you spent a lot of time with that person, so, but then you uh, incidentally happened to pick up a lot of the behaviors that they have. You started to pick up on a lot of the sinful things that they do, and you started participating in it yourself. So on the one hand, we want to try and isolate, but on, the, on the, the equal mistake on the other end of the equation is we try and engage so hard into our community that we end up doing all the things that our community is doing, and we do everything that the culture is doing and we don't actually look like the church. We don't look distinct in any sort of way. So, I mean, you, you have people that are like, man, I just, listen, I really want to like love on my neighbor well, so I'm going to go to that party. I'm going to go to that party at 11 o'clock at night at their house on a Friday when all the good things happen, right? And I'm going to go, and maybe I'll, listen, maybe I'll just have a drink, right? I'm going to be responsible, but I'm just going to, I'm going to meet the sinners where they're at because that's what Jesus did, Right? Like Jesus had dinner with the tax collectors. Jesus hung out with the prostitutes and the sinful people of the city. But you know what also Jesus never did? He never gave himself over to sin. And so if your 
love for your neighbor is causing you to stumble, you need to reevaluate your methods because it's, it's not worth it to lose your soul in the process. And, and the cultural pull into all of the good things, like the idols that, that culture has created out of money, sex, and power. Let's just use those three like Tim Keller would. It's, it's just going to pull us in and it's going to promise all these things and to be able to deliver ultimately on none of them. And so like, it's just so tempting to get pulled into it all that we have to find this way to kind of stand on a razor thin margin between separation and just totally blending in with the rest of the world that we're living in. And, and I think the way that we do that is we have to put on a different set of goggles, if you will. You have to put on a different set of glasses as you see the world. And we have to choose and repurpose our mind to see the world with the, with the redemptive possibility that lies within it. So we have to retrain our minds to have a redemptive imagination. This is something that I look, as you read through the Gospels, as you read through Jesus's life, I think this is probably something that he was, of course he was good at it, uh, but he's Jesus, right? So he kind of has the cheat code in all of this because he's God and I'm not. But if you just look at even how he sees the woman at the well, well, let's just take that story for example. And yeah, there's all this sin, but Jesus sees the redemptive beauty in her story rather than seeing all the sin that's present. I think if we could see, the, and if we could like look at the city of Loveland, if we could look at our county and have this redemptive imagination with, what, with where we're currently living, I think that's the key to keeping our eyes fixed on something that doesn't have us bowing out of the culture and it doesn't have us engaging with it in an unhealthy way. But instead we go, man, what would you look like if you were completely free from your shame? What would, what would this person look like if they were completely free of their sin? If they knew that they were chosen, loved, and accepted by God? And when, what if we just started asking the question with, with businesses that we saw, with people that we interacted with, with school teachers that were, that were with our kids all the time. If we just started asking these questions, man, God, what, what redemptive potential lies dormant in this situation right now? And how can I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I might get to be an agent that wakes it up? You know? Like, like if, we could just, if we could just see with that kind of hope and with that kind of vision, because that's, that's who Jesus is and that's what Jesus does, is he sees the beauty in your story before you even can, you know? And so if I could, if I could rather than like, rather than seeing something horrific or something tragic or something broken and responding with either anger, frustration, I'm not saying there isn't a place for that, right? I, but I think if we could use that emotion as a trigger as a cue to go, I don't, think I'm, I don't think I'm daydreaming enough about what their redemption could look like with Christ. See, because like, let's just, we'll do a little bit more of this next week as we talk about our nation, but let's just look at kind of what the political ideas of the day are offering us. So on conservatism, you have a largely conservative base sitting in front of me right now. I, I know that. But as conservatives, what we tend to think of for the world is we think if we can just protect and preserve our freedoms and liberties, that is going to bring about the, the best environment for the Holy Spirit to do his work. Maybe, maybe. But I think a lot of times freedom and liberties, what they do in our conservatism is they just let, help us preserve our own autonomous self. So in, in a way, that conservatism still falls woefully short of the gospel. Because the, the gospel is not that I've been set free so I get to be me and I get to do me and YOLO, right? No, the gospel is I've been set free so that I can give myself over to the service of Christ. See, but then on the other side of things, you have this, hello, you have this, you have this, uh, you have this liberalism that's going on right now. 
And what it's saying is like, man, we need to engage with the needs of our communities through this idea, maybe this platform of social justice, right? And, and it's, it's offering the bread, it's handing out the goods, it's taking care of the people, but at the detriment of, of the truth. So you have on this other side of the coin where it's like, let's just meet everyone's felt needs and serve everyone's needs that they have while it undermines what, what God is saying. No, you actually have a deep spiritual need that involves you giving yourself over to the Lordship of Christ, so I'm just, I'm just trying to poke holes to say neither one fits perfectly and fits very neatly with my kingship, my, my citizenship to heaven. Like they both have their flaws. And if I just want to keep trying to cherry pick one of these ideas on trying to how to bring an usher in cultural renewal, I'm just saying that's using man's schemes when only the king's vision is going to do that. Like we, we have to buy into a, a bigger idea than just what the country and the culture is throwing at us today. And I think that idea is we can rethink how we love with Jesus as our inspiration. We've got to rethink what actually loving people looks like. One more verse. Uh, can we go back, Stephen? I'm sorry, I skipped Romans, um, Romans chapter 12. As we do this, I think it's pivotal we keep it in mind. Paul writes this in Romans, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So it matters what things you give yourself over to, doesn't it? Like there is a real thing called sin and there is a real choice and a real uh, like effort that I can make. Now it's a grace-driven effort starting from an identity that God loves me. And as I receive that, I try to operate into that identity as best I can. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going he's gonna to have me be a holy sacrifice, living and acceptable to God. But then Paul urges us, do not be conformed to this world. Don't just be so bought into the patterns that this world has, the solutions that this world has, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let the Holy Spirit come and renew in us this creative imagination to see the world for all the redemptive possibility that lies within it, because God has made it and it is good and it might be defiled, it might be broken by sin, of course. It all is, we all were. But only Jesus has seized the redemptive potential that lies within the city that we're living in because he also saw the redemptive potential that lies within you. So you think about this as we're gonna move to communion now, if we can go back to that last point there. Rethinking how we love with Jesus as our inspiration. You and I have to come to a point where we embrace the fact that Jesus loves us if we're going to be effective at doing his ministry in the world that we're living in. Because if we can't sit in the reality, if we can't actually believe in and let our mind be transformed and renewed by the overwhelming grip that Jesus loves you, has chosen you, has gifted you with good things, then you're never going to engage with your city in the right way. You just aren't. And so we're going to close with communion this morning. And I want to invite us before we pray that God would send us and, and give us this task and give us appointments this week. Before we pray that, I want to just make sure we've sat in the fact that Jesus loves us. And this is, this is what you can sit in. We'll leave this verse up during communion. By this we know love. 1 John 3.16. By this we know love. How do we know what love is? The world is frantically trying to define love. And it so often comes up woefully short of what love actually is. Love is that Jesus laid down his life for us. He laid his, his, he laid his life down out of love for you and for me. And then it, he flips it and he says, and that is how we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This kind of agape, self-giving, self-sacrificing love, that's how we can love our city the best. 
not in a way that's selfish and self-preserving and self-protecting, not in a way that gives ourselves over to anything that comes our way, but that we would actually steep in the love of God, continue to have greater and greater understanding of how much God loves us, soak in that, soak in that truth, let it, let it form the deepest part of who I am as a person, and then step out, and now I can begin to express and give that love to the city that I'm living in. So for communion today, here's how I want to do it. I want us to all grab the, the elements and I want us just to take them back in our seat, but we're going to take it together. So don't quite take communion yet. I just want to lead us through a prayer as we take it together. And then we're going to ask that the spirit of God by his power would send us out of here to go be um, difference makers in the city that we live in. Cool? So come on up, grab communion, and then we'll do a prayer together. Some up here, some in the back, some on the balcony. Gluten-free is on a separate tray. Make sure you grab both cups as you're grabbing it. ask that we would have a dramatic encounter with your love. Maybe we've never really experienced it before. Maybe, Maybe we've learned about it, we've talked about it, maybe we've even taught about it, but we haven't experienced it for ourselves personally. God, I pray that as we take the bread, if you would just take the bread. And God, we have we have a physical demonstration of how much you love us. You've given your body so that you can have a relationship with us not out of anger, not out of frustration, but because you loved us. For you so loved the world, Jesus, that you were given as the only begotten son, that we could have eternal life. And so we take this bread, we take it together, remembering your love for us. that we now take the juice. And God, we thank you for the new covenant that you ushered in by your blood, that we are under grace. It's no longer up to our works, our effort. God, it's because of your grace that we get to go and love our city. It's because you first demonstrated your love. It's because you first poured out your blood God, we thank you for all that this means and all it represents. And I pray that as we take it today, would we experience and encounter your love for us. Would you guys stand and pray together? I just want to remind everybody in the room, Jesus loves you deeply. You you might have all of your yeah, but, and all the excuses or all the things that you did this last week that I don't know about and I don't need to know about them. It's because Jesus came while we were still sinners and died for us. His love for you is unchanging. It's unwavering. There's nothing you can do to be removed from under his love. He cares so deeply about you. There's nothing that is going on in your life that's too small or insignificant for him to care about. He loves you. So we pray this, under that covering of love, we pray, God, would you send us from here? God, I ask that we wouldn't, um, that we wouldn't just let this series be a bunch of information that gets up in our head, but would it be a, a mission that sinks down deep into our hearts, into our souls, God? We wanna be carriers of your glory. We wanna be representatives of your love to this community. God, wherever we find ourselves this week, whether it's just another normal day at work, whether it's just a normal week going through our routines at the grocery store, 
God, I pray that we wouldn't just be regular people. Would we be people who have been set apart, chosen, holy and acceptable to you, loved by you, called by you, sent by you. Give us your vision this week, Lord, to see, to, to, to unlock our redemptive imagination, to ask ourselves the question all over this week, what would this look like, God, if your grace was present, if your love was present? if this shame was gone, if this was undone. God, would we have the eyes to see the world the way that you see it? We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen.